Okay, so this week we are looking at the very last part of Romans chapter 8. How many of y'all have been encouraged by the truths in Romans chapter 8? Anybody besides myself? I've really enjoyed uh, doing this uh, series because Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Some preachers and theologians say that the, the Romans 8 is the Himalayas of the New Testament. And Romans 8.31 is, or 8.32 is the Mount Everest, the high point of, of, of Scripture. And so Paul takes us, in Romans 8, he takes us to powerful gospel truth about what Christ has done. We've looked at how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've looked at how the Holy Spirit helps us in this life, in our weaknesses, we looked at how we are children of God, how we have an inheritance, how we are loved by God. Uh, we looked at how God has chosen us and how he has destined us, predestined us for glory. We have a bright future ahead of us as saints. That's what we, that's what we looked at last week. This morning, I would like to emphasize confidence in God's goodness and love. I want to encourage us. I want to give you reasons from Romans 8 and from Scripture to be confident in God's goodness and love towards you. And why do I think this is so important? Well, because as a Christian and as a pastor for, for many years now, I have seen that the children of God, saints who are deeply loved by God, at times struggle to believe that God is really for them. That, that in, in, the, in our heart of hearts, in, deep down inside, when, when, when life is hard and there's sickness and there's tragedy and there's pain and there's brokenness that surrounds us and our life is just bitter and painful and challenging, we struggle to believe that God is good and that he has good intentions for us, that he loves us, that he's not against us. The enemy, Satan, would have... The saints believe, if he could, convince us that God hates us, that God's against us, that God wants to destroy us. I know from experience, my own personal experience, and walking with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have a tendency to be like the children of Israel who had been delivered out of Egypt, God had lovingly displayed his redemption and deliverance in their lives and brought them out of slavery into a new land, a promised land. And yet this is what they said when it got hard, when they, got, when they went through tests, when they went through the wilderness. They said, God brought us out here because he hates us and he wants to destroy us. Can you believe that? That they would say that? And you know, we, we tend to buy in to this same lie. Just like uh, Satan did with Eve at the beginning, he got her to question and doubt God's word. God knows that if you eat from the tree, you know, you'll be wise and it'll be a good thing for you basically and God's just holding out on that goodness. So just take it, right? And so the enemy would have us be deceived. He would try to deceive us that God is against us, that God is withholding good from us, that his intentions toward us are not good. And it is foundational for us to be convinced of this. 
It is an anchor to our souls. It is strength to our hearts to have confidence in God's love and his goodness for us. And in Romans chapter 8, the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul tries to convince the recipients of this letter that God is good and that he loves us and that nothing can separate us from his love. In the book of Romans, Paul specifically tries to unpack, and he does, he unpacks the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Starting in uh, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And Paul unpacks the gospel in Romans chapter 1 through 8. He unpacks gospel truth for us. He unpacks the reality that God is good and ultimately God has displayed his goodness in the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came. He suffered and he died for you and me to rescue us, to redeem us, to bring us back to himself. If you would stand with me, we're going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. And we're going to, I'm going to give you three reasons to be confident in God's goodness and love towards you. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said... Amen to that. You may be seated. So Paul brings us to the Mount Ephraim, the Himalayas of Scripture. He crescendos here at the end of Romans after saying some pretty powerful things as we looked at last week. Romans 8, 28 through, through 30. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then he, he starts with this question in verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? Okay, I just want to ask you today, church. What shall we say to th- these things? How shall we respond to these truths that we've just talked about in Romans chapter 8? In Romans 8, 8 through uh, 28 through 30, some theologians would say he's referring immediately to those verses that And God works all things together for the good that he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, he glorified us. Others would say, well, he's talking about the whole Romans 8. 
Others would say, no, he's going all the way back to chapter 5 when he says, what shall we say to these things? And so this confidence and this assurance and this security that we have in Christ. Others would say, well, he's just talking about Romans 1 through 8. What shall we say to these things? He's unpacked the gospel. Okay, Paul has unpacked glorious gospel truth. And he asked this question, what shall we say to these things? He has these, this list of uh, gospel catechism that he that he walks us through here in Romans 8. He asks these questions, rhetorical questions, and he has answers for them, and, and then there's implications behind them. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let that sink in for just a minute. The most powerful being person in the world is for you saints not against you he's for you the wealthiest person in the world the kindest person in the world the wisest person in the world god almighty the sovereign creator of the universe is for you and i he's not against us you see at the beginning of this chapter Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer enemies of God. As it says, we were once in Romans 5. We were enemies of God. We were opposed to God. We were in rebellion against God. And we were deserving of wrath and judgment. But that no longer rests upon our lives. And that, that is not our destiny. God is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? I think we struggle to really believe this. I think we struggle to believe this when we're not doing well in our walk, when we're not as disciplined as we know that we should, or, or when maybe we get sick, or, or maybe when, when some kind of bad thing happens to us, or maybe, like, like me, uh, you know, this week, you get a flat tire. So my wife and I have struggled uh, with flat tires recently. All right. And so like, I mean, like three or four times in, in the past couple of weeks, we've got a low tire, flat tire uh, recently. My wife got a flat tire. I got a flat tire. I was driving on I-30 on my way to go preach the gospel to about 100 people at a homeless shelter downtown Dallas. And I got a flat tire. Okay. And I, I was actually, I was not able to go and, and preach the gospel to these folks. So in my mind, I'm processing this. Like, what's, what's going on? Is this spiritual warfare? Is the devil just, he doesn't want me to go and preach and, and, and encourage these folks with Romans chapter 8, as we're talking about today? Uh, or uh, is God disciplining me? You know, actually, I was just, right before I got a flat tire, I was listening to this song by Will Reagan. I'm not in a hurry. When it comes to your spirit. And I'm like, Boom! and so I, and then I'm listening to the song and I'm like, okay, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down because I am in a hurry right now. I'm running late and I want to be there on time to preach the gospel to these folks. And then boom, I get this flat tire. Okay. So, so is God disciplining me? Is, is, is there spiritual warfare going on? I know the enemy's against me. I know he's against the gospel being proclaimed to people that need hope and encouragement, right? Or do I just need to get some, some new tires? I How about all three of those, huh? I, I did get two new tires. I, they were very, they were very <laughs> in need of repair and, and replacement. 
But but in those moments, in those moments when when if God is correcting us through circumstances or he's disciplining us in circumstances, saints, he's not against us. If it's true that there's something in your life right now that God is disciplining you for and it feels like a spanking and it hurts, it's not because he's against you. It's actually because he loves you if he's doing that. That's, that's you know, Hebrews 12. That's actually evidence that God is for you because he disciplines his children for their good. He, he's trying to help them. Any, any good parent disciplines uh, their, their children in some way. You're, you're, you're wanting to direct them and do what's best for them. So even in the discipline of God, God is still for us. He's not against us. He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. He corrects us. But he doesn't condemn us. He's not against us. And the cross is what, what bears witness to that. Even though we have an enemy who is opposed to us, and we have many adversaries, and we have many things in this life technically that are against us. I don't think Paul was saying here that Christians don't have any opposition in this life. I don't think he's saying, well, if you're a Christian, you're not going to have any adversity, right? Has that been the experience of anybody here? No. Is, is that what Scripture teaches throughout the rest of Scripture? Even within this letter, we'll see here that there's plenty of adversity. There's plenty enemies that we face as Christians. But what I think Paul is saying in this verse, verse 31, and God is for us, who can be against us, is that nobody, he's implying that nothing or no one can successfully be against us. Even the devil himself. The devil, demons, principalities, powers, and the list goes on and on. Nobody. Cancer, sickness. And, and why, why, if God is for us, who can be against us? Why can nothing or no one successfully be against us? Well, back to Romans 8.28. We know that God works all things together for our good. He's working in our good. He's not against us. Again, if you've got the most powerful person, the wisest person, the most loving person in the world on your side, who can successfully be against you or I? Amen? So what shall we say to these things? I want to convince you this morning that God is for you, saints. That he is for you, that he loves you and he's for you and he's not against you. And here's just a couple of reasons. Okay, here's, well, here's the big idea. First of all, Christians have great reason to have assurance and confidence in God's goodness and his love towards them. Uh, the first thing that I'd like to point to is how God has been good to each of us in the past. Okay. We can look back, we can look at, our, at the own history of our lives and see how God has been good to us in, in common grace and providing for us food and family and shelter and health and, and the breath that you're breathing right now. And the life and the days that he has given you, the provisions that he has given you, theologians call that common grace. He's been good to us in those ways. But ultimately, we see God's goodness manifested in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. 
So notice this. As I said earlier, Romans 8.32 is considered the Mount Everest, the, the high point of Scripture by some theologians. And, and just think about how profound this truth is, how simple yet profound this is. Simple gospel truth. God gave up his only begotten son for you and I. I mean, like Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac in obedience to the father, which was a major sacrifice. God the Father actually went through with this, with his son Jesus, for us, so that you and I can be saved, so that you and I can be forgiven, so that you and I will have no condemnation eternally, so that you and I can be justified eternally and have a future with him eternally. So listen to the logic within this verse. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's using logic from the greater to the lesser. If God gave us the greater gift, why would he hold back on the lesser gift, all things? In comparison, all things are lesser gifts and, and, and small in comparison to the greatest gift of God's son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so God has given us Jesus. He's given us the greatest gift ever. Therefore, we can be convinced that he will graciously give us all things. This is a promise. When I uh, wanted to marry my wife, Kendall, uh, I needed to get a ring, okay? And so I went to a jewelry store called Robin Brothers, and I picked out a ring that she would like. I saw it. I, 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 you know, I got her opinion on it. So I finally, and I saved up money, and I finally went and I purchased this uh, engagement ring. Okay, and and when I bought that ring, the the jewelers they gave me a little box and they gave me a little bag. I didn't even have to ask for it. Okay. So I paid a lot of money just for this, just for the ring, okay? And that's the valuable part. But you know what? The little box and the bag were added in with it, all right? It's a very small thing. The bag and the box are very small. I could have just put it on my pinky and, or put it in my pocket and took it home. It w- I would have did that. It would have been, the, I just wanted the ring, right? Even if they didn't give me the box and the bag. But the, the, but the other little things were added into it. And these other little things are kind of like all things mentioned here. Jesus is the greatest treasure. He's the valuable gift that God the Father has given to us. And you know what? He just, he's going to add in all things. All things are ours. Does that, sound, does, you get, does that excite you at all? I think we should be a little bit excited about all things, but even more excited about the greatest gift ever, Jesus Christ. We're coming up on Christmas, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. The greatest gift ever given. God, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Jesus is the greatest gift. So we can look back at the past and we see that God has been good to us because he gave us his son. We look back to the cross. We look back to the incarnation and the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All for you and all for me. God is for us. If you struggle to believe that God is for you, look back to the cross. Look back in, in, in the past ways that God has been good. And even, even before that, back in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, God chose you. 
He predestined you, saints. He chose you to be his and predestined you to be conformed into his image. Before you had any ability to do any kind of good or any kind of bad, God chose to set his love on you. And he chose you to be a part of his family and have everlasting life. This is a free gift. If, if we didn't earn it, if we had no ability to do good or bad, before we were even born, what makes us think that we can earn it now? Merit it now. Or even lose it now. There is security for the children of God. Romans 8.30 is one of the most powerful verses I know that, that the Bible teaches on the security of the believer. I mean, Paul goes from eternity past, whom he predestined, he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified, and he goes to eternity future when we will be glorified. And in God's mind, this is a done deal. Okay? God can call the shots. He can shoot a three uh, and call net, nothing but net or glass, and it's going in because he's the eternal God. And he's sovereign, and he's able to make this happen. He's sovereign in our salvation. So God's been good in our past. We look back to eternity past, and God has chosen us. That should make us feel loved. That should convince us that God is for us, that God has chosen good for us, and he will do good to us. And then he gave us his son. He did the ultimate act, the greatest sacrifice. He gave us the greatest gift of his son, Jesus. So he has been good to us, and then he promises to be good to us in the future. So again, the logic is, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? One commentator, Douglas Moose, says this, The the scope of the all things God guarantees includes all those blessings, spiritual and material, that we require on the path towards that final salvation. This is the same logic that... That Paul used in Romans chapter 5 where, where, where he says, you know, if we've been saved by his death, how much more, how much more shall we be delivered or saved by his life? Let me, let me look that up. It's the same logic that, that, um, that Jesus used in, in Matthew 6 where he says, if God the Father cares for the birds and clothes the, 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 the ground with flowers, and uh, how much more will he care for you, right? If he takes care of the rest of creation... Surely, much more, he's going to take care of you, right? Sons and daughters of God. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse uh, 9, it says, uh, We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So much more, the greater, the lesser. So we can be confident that God has good in store for us because of his promises. He has promised that he will be good to us. Romans 8, 28. And we know. I love how he starts this. And we know. Do you know this, church? Are you convinced of this? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. See, God promises that he will do good to us. He has been good. He promises that he will be good. And you know what? Right now, God is being good to you and I. Uh, again, not only because you have 
breath in your lungs and sight you can see and you can hear and you can move and you can enjoy food and smells and sounds. You can sing, enjoy relationships and all the gifts of this life, which would be common grace. But you have Christ right now at this moment interceding for you. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father praying for you, interceding for you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You know, it makes us feel loved when we're going through difficult time. Well, any time, really. And we know that somebody's praying for us or somebody prayed for us, doesn't it? Don't you feel loved and cared for when you're going through a trial, when, when life is hard and, and somebody's praying for you? That, that you're not in that trial alone. That you're not bearing the burden of it alone. That God is with you. And then other brothers or sisters are with you. We have God the Son interceding for us. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, in Romans 8, 26 and 27, we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. So God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father are all committed to doing good to us. And God the Son and God the Spirit are not trying to overcome some reluctance that God the Father may have to do us good. God the Father is eager to do good to us. But Jesus is interceding for us. He's praying for us. So right now, in this moment, you're being prayed for. So if you have no other brothers and sisters that you know of that are praying for you right now, you can at least say, Jesus is interceding for me. Somebody, if you're a Christian, you are always being prayed for. You are always being interceded for. And if, if those of us want to be more like Jesus, then we can, we can give ourselves to this ministry as well. What better way to express love to people is, is pray for them earnestly faithfully, consistently. We need to pray more. We need to be like Jesus more. Christ is the, the great intercessor. I love that about him. That he, as Hebrews 7.25 says, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's interceding for us. So God is being good to us right now in this present moment. He has been good. He's promised to be good in the future. And right now, he's being good to you. We stand secure in Christ's victory and his love. Romans 8, 37. Uh, actually, let's see. Let's go back to uh, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Notice again some of these things that that, are, that we experience in this life, some of the hardships, some of the things that are against us in this life, some of the challenges that we have, though you may be going through some of these things, and you have, and you will, God is still being good to you, even 
in the middle of it. You may not feel like that. If you have cancer, you're fighting to just live. You may not feel like God's being good to you in that moment. If you have family turmoil, hardship within relationships, I know many of us are going back to see, going to see family this week. And for some of us, it's hard because there's hurts, there's pains, there's bitterness. Some of us won't see family because of that, because of past hurts. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We're still loved. We're still secure in the love of Christ. We have victory in Christ. We're not alone. God is still for us. Though some of our closest family members uh, or friends may forsake us in this life, Jesus himself experienced being betrayed by Judas. Though we may be betrayed, though we may be slaughtered, though we may experience death or famine or sword. And this has been the experience for Christians throughout history. I don't want any of us to be naive when it comes to the Christian life and think that it's all smooth and it's all easy. And if you won't have trials and tribulation and sword and these things that he mentions, but know that in this, in these things that we experience in this life, God is still good. He's still being good to us. He is still committed to doing good. He has been good. He promises to be good to us. He is being good to us now. And there is nothing that can separate us from his love. We are more than conquerors. We are uh, super conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. This is powerful. This This is the victory we stand in, church. And it's not because we're awesome. It's not because we're like David who takes out Goliath with the slingshot. It's not because we're like Moses because we part, you know, part the Red Sea with their staff. Actually, that was God. Uh, or or we're not, it's not because we're like Daniel who uh, was in the, the lion's den and didn't get eaten up. It's not because we're super awesome, but because our God is great. Our God is the ultimate conqueror, the ultimate victor. And you know what? His victory is ours. Victory belongs to you and me in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. As I've said before, I like to play basketball. And uh, I usually don't get picked first. I'm usually the last guy to get picked. Or sometimes I don't get picked on the first team. I have to wait till the next team gets up. But every once in a while, I'll get to play with some guys that are really good at basketball. Really good. Like, there's, there's one guy, um, or there's a couple guys that come that have played college basketball. And I remember one time I got to play on their team, on, on the, the guy who played for New Mexico. And, and, and so he was really good. And I'm, I'm pumped up. And, and, uh, and we won. And we kept winning. And I'm just feeling great about this. Like, man, we are, we are whooping it. We're awesome. We're conquerors. We're winning, right? But it wasn't because I'm an awesome basketball player. It's because I was on a team of other folks who really knew how to play basketball. And actually, you know, I actually did a little bit better than I normally do. Like there was one pass that came right to me and I made it real quick. And I was like, wow, did I just make that? You know, and there's something about being with other people who are good, gifted and and, and good athletes. It, It calls you up to step up to be that yourself. And we have that in Christ, and we're surrounded by brothers and sisters who God declares right here in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors. Actually, look to the person next to you and say, hey, you're more than a conqueror. All right? You may not feel like it. You may not look like it right now. (laughs) 
but you are more than a conqueror. All right. And God, we stand in that victory because Jesus has won the game for us. Jesus has conquered for us. Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We couldn't make it into the hoop ourselves. Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he was crucified on the cross. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. We couldn't do that for ourselves. And he did that for us. He's the hero of the Bible. He's the great conqueror of the Bible. And we stand in that victory and we stand in that love. And Paul says here, nothing can separate us from that. We're victorious in Christ Jesus. And if our God is for us, then who can be against us? And if our God is for us, then what can stand against? See, this is truth that we sing. This is truth that we believe. We stand in this and we can celebrate because we know the end of the story. We know that in the end, we win, right? In the end, the church wins. Christ wins. His kingdom remains everlasting. Jesus will come back. And there may be seasons in this life and in this world where it looks like the church is defeated and crushed and slaughtered. And, may, and it may be that we really are martyred and slaughtered. And, and, but even in that, we're more than conquerors because that's not the end of our story. That's not our ultimate defeat. Jesus may have looked like a loser when he was on that cross dying half naked and people are wondering oh this is the guy who was healing the sick raising the dead this is the guy that everybody was hoping that would redeem israel look what happened to him he may have looked like a failure in that moment but he didn't stay on that cross and he didn't stay in that grave because just like he said he got up out of that grave and he rose from the dead and this is the gospel This is the truth. This is what should convince us that God has been good to us. He will be good to us. And right now, he's being good to us because there is nothing that can separate us from his love. And we stand in that victory right now. Can you say with with Paul in, in verse 38, I am sure. Are you confident? Do you have assurance like the apostle Paul has? The same assurance. Do you know that all things are going to work together for your good? Do you have assurance that death, nor life, angels, rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, powers, height, nor debt, anything in creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Are you convinced that God is good towards you and he loves you and that he's committed to doing you good? That's who he is. That's what he's promised. He has been good. He's promised to be good. He's being good right now as we listen to these words. So we're more than conquerors. We're secure in him. And so lastly, in application here, don't let negative circumstances, emotions, powers, or people dominate your life. Okay? Because we're going to go through that in this life. We're surrounded, as we talked about last week, we are surrounded by a broken world with broken people. And then we, too, carry brokenness in our own lives. And so don't let negative circumstances, emotions, powers. There are principalities. There are powers. There are demonic forces that that Christians 
wrestle against Ephesians chapter 6. But even though we have that opposition, even though we have that spiritual battle that we face, we don't have to be dominated and controlled by them. We're free. We're delivered. We're victorious in Christ Jesus. We're not under the domain of those principalities and powers any longer. We're a part of a new kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And we have a king that can take anybody out that messes with us. Right? As I said a, a couple weeks ago, like the, 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 the boy coming home from school who was being bullied by, by some bullies. And, and, and he, he ran to his house and he was sheepish and he was scared. But then when he got to his porch on his house, all of a sudden he had this confidence. Why did he have confidence? Because he knew his dad was inside. And he was like, what's up? Come on, guys. What's up? Hey, dad. Dad, I need your help. He had confidence because he knew his dad was there. And his dad was for him, and his dad would protect him, and he wasn't going to let those bullies have their way in his life, right? And we have a good, good father who's for us. So don't let negative circumstances, emotions, powers, or people dominate your life. And then be assured that God is for you by reflecting on the gospel. Reflect on the gospel this week. Think about the implications of what does this mean that Jesus died for me? There's no accusation that can stick. There's no condemnation that can stick. Some of us have, have done some things that are sinful, that we're ashamed of, that if they were to be displayed on this TV right now, we would be ashamed. But Jesus died for those things. And he's our lawyer. And you know what? He's never lost the case. He's never lost the case. So those who, those who bring their case to him and they confess their sins to him and they trust him as their lawyer, their advocate, their defender, Jesus steps in. He takes the case. You don't have to pay him. He's not going to milk you for money. It's, he's free. He's a free lawyer, right? He'll take your case and he, he died in your place. And so he can justly pardon us, forgive us, defend us. He's justified us. So who can legitimately bring an accusation against, against us and, and it stick? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He will come and he will accuse you and I and he will whisper lies about who God is, about who we are. And we must fight with this gospel truth. We must reflect on Stand in and rely upon this gospel truth that we belong to God and he's for us. He has displayed he's for us. All right. I think God really wants us to get this. And I feel very inadequate this morning to help you get this. I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm reasoning with you. And I don't feel like I'm doing the best right now. But I know that God loved you so much more than I could ever express to you. Paul knew this, and so he, he had a prayer in Ephesians 3. He prayed that the church, would, by, by the power of the Spirit, would be able to grasp the depth and the height and the width and the length of God's love, to know it, to really get it deep down inside. I can't make you get that. The Spirit of God has to do His work in your heart. Open your eyes and help you to grasp how much the Father 
really loves us. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, I come to you in prayer now, and I pray that you would take my feeble efforts to convince your people that you're for us, that you're good, that you love us. And would you, by the power of your Spirit, open our hearts to receive and believe and to really know the depth of your love for us, to really be convinced that you're good. And I pray that your goodness would lead us to repentance. Where maybe we've been complaining, pouty, because we feel like you're against us or maybe you're not so good. Wherever we've been thinking and living like orphans, trying to make it happen in our strength, leaning on our own understanding, would you forgive us and help us to just function as beloved children of God who know that we're loved by you? That even in our hardships and even in our pain and even in our loss in this life, we know that we will not experience ultimate loss. That we will not experience everlasting suffering. That we will not experience everlasting defeat. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. And so God, may we stand in that. May we be confident that, that Christ is one, that, that Christ is enough, that, that we can be, by your grace, who you call us to be in this life, in the most difficult of circumstances. And I pray for any brothers or sisters right now who are discouraged, who are struggling, God, who need hope, who need to be reminded of your good, good love, your promises, your good news, Break through. Break through the despair. Break through the darkness. Break through the hardness of heart. And cause us to walk in the freedom and the confidence that you want your children to walk in. If you're here this morning and you want prayer for anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. You can come up or you can raise your hand.